Thank you, Ethan. Thank you, Marisa. Turn your Bibles again to the book of Philippians in chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Our theme for the new year is to be rooted deeply, standing firmly, and living steadfastly. At the beginning of last month, I did a couple messages on this truth, the importance of, as God's people, to be grounded and rooted deeply in God's word. Today, I'd like to focus on the second part of that theme, is to stand firmly. In fact, the title of a message is to stand fast in the Lord. And we get that phrase from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1. Let's look at that verse again, please. And we're going to uh, take the verse apart and look at the several things that's mentioned there. It says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Before we get to that phrase, the theme here, notice how much Paul thought of this church of Philippi. He uses several words to show his love and affection for these believers. These are people that he led to Christ and uh, began to teach them. He has now left that ministry and moved on to another church to establish one there. And he says, therefore, notice as, pa as Pastor Rick said, he says, therefore, my brethren, this verse, my message today is not for the unbelievers, for the Christian. He didn't, he didn't say, therefore, you heathen. He said, therefore, my brethren, to my brothers and sisters in Christ. So this message and Paul's message is for those of you that know Christ as your Savior. And notice the words of endearment that Paul gave to these brethren, these believers in Jesus and, and the church of Philippi. He says, my dearly beloved. In fact, he mentions that twice, the first part of the verse and the second and the end of it. That basically, it reveals his deep affection for the believers in Philippi. It's a term of endearment. Basically, and he's saying, these people I love dearly. And he goes on to say, my dearly beloved, long for. The word long for refers to a deep pain of separation from loved ones. Paul was away from them, and he longed to go back to be with them again. So he calls them dearly beloved, longed for. Then he says, my joy. Paul's derived his joy not from circumstances, but other believers. I don't know about you. I find great joy in being in the house of God with God's people. One of my highlights of the week is coming to church on Sundays and Wednesday nights. I look forward to that. And that's what Paul was saying for. He says, I love you. He says, you are long for, I long to see you again, and you are my joy. Then he goes on to say the last word there before the challenge. He says, my crown. Now, the crown here refers to rewards in heaven. As Christians, one day you and I will stand before what is called the judgment seat of Christ. At that judgment, our works will be Judge to determine our degree of rewards in heaven. And for those who know Christ as Savior, you can earn rewards in heaven. Now, salvation is not a reward. Salvation is a gift we receive by trusting Christ as Savior. But once you're saved, now that you're a believer in Christ, you can earn rewards in heaven. And he refers in the Bible, the judgment seat, those rewards in heaven are called crowns. And there's five different crowns mentioned in the Bible. And this one is called the crown of rejoicing and referred to these believers as a crown. 
In fact, do not turn there in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. He said, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? One crown the Lord is going to give out at that judgment is called the crown of rejoicing, the soul winner's crown. It's given to those who have led people to Christ. By the way, will you receive that crown? It's given to those who lead people to Christ. Have you ever led someone to Christ? Sad to say, many believers have not. I was saved an eight-year-old boy, but I never led one to Christ until I was 23. All that time, I never told one person how to go to heaven, and one day I did. For those of you that have personally sat down with someone and shared with them the plan of salvation, encouraged them to put their trust in Christ as Savior, at that the moment, they're saved. But God says, I will give you a crown of rejoicing when you get to heaven. So many will receive those, so many will not. Then he goes on, and he gives a command. He gives a command. We're going to talk about this command. It's a command to stand. A command to stand. After he said, dearly beloved, long for my joy, my crown, he says, so stand fast in the Lord. The first command, to stand fast. Now, look up here, please. What in the world does that mean? I've heard of walk fast. In fact, my wife and I, sometimes we go to the mall, we walk around, look at stores, and sometimes she says, honey, you're walking too fast, slow down. And so we're talking about walk fast. And I've heard the, the phrase, run fast. In fact, when I think of that phrase, I remember a time when I was 12 years old. My best buddy, his name was Gary Hogan. He called me up on a Saturday. He said, Dave, would you like to go fishing? I said, sure. So I rode my bike over to his house. His grandfather was there. I didn't remember his name. I called him Mr. Hogan. And Mr. Hogan, he had a uh, pickup truck with three cane poles. How many of them were cane poles? They were about 10, 12, 15 feet long. In the back of the truck, he had there a tackle box and some bait. And he said, hop in, boys. So we hopped in the truck. We drove probably about an hour out into the woods. We stopped beside a road. Then we got out, grabbed our cane poles, the tackle box, and the bait. And we walked probably about 200 yards out into the woods. And we come to a pond. He says, boys, this is the best fishing hole in all the area. And so we began to unwind the, the fishing line from the poles. All of a sudden, Mr. Hogan says, Gary, stop it. I looked over there. Gary had his pole. There was a huge wall's nest hanging up on the tray, probably about 12 feet up in the air, about this big, I mean, huge paper nest. And Gary was swinging at it with a cane pole. And all of a sudden, he hit it. And it fell. When it hit the ground, boy, we heard a hum. A cloud, a whole bunch of wolves come out. And you know what Mr. Hogan says? He says, run, run boys. And boy, I begin to run. I run fast as I can. And all of a sudden, a 70-year-old man passed me like I was standing still. <laughs> Talking about run fast. And so that was the term. So I, I've heard the term walk fast and run fast. But Paul says... Stand fast. And what does that mean? It seems contradictory, doesn't it? The word stand fast, the word fast has the idea of firm. To stand firm. Has the idea of perseverance or persistence. This is a command given to believers to stand fast and where to stand fast in the Lord. 
the idea, this has the idea of a military commander, soldier. He says, to remain standing at your post. Don't leave it. Be firm there and be persistent. Stand at the post. So God is saying, Christian, that we are to stand, to stand firmly, to stand persistent, to persevere in the Lord. It has the idea to persevere in your service and your walk with Jesus Christ. As a pastor of over 40 years, I've seen people come and go. I've seen people serve the Lord and fall away from the Lord. The command here, Christian, to stand fast. Stand firm, keep on serving God. Persevere and you walk with him. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's what he's saying here. Stand fast. And stand fast in the Lord. That's the command. Number two. Now he gives us the reason the believers to stand. The reason. Look again in Philippians chapter 4 verse 1. And we find the reason in the very first word. Philippians 4 verse. What's the first word? Therefore. Every time I read that word. I think of my college professor telling us as students, he says, every time you see the word therefore, ask yourself, what is that word therefore, therefore? <laughs> it's written to what is previously said. So it backs up to chapter 3, verse 20. He bases verse, chapter 4, verse 1 upon Philippians three twenty. Notice the great and glorious truths he bases the truth on to stand firm. In verse 20, he says, for our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies, and that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he's able even to do all things to himself. So the reason the believers should stand, number one, is because we are citizens of heaven. How many realize this world is not our home? We are passing through. In fact, Peter referred to believers as strangers or pilgrims. It's not our home. The word conversation, our conversation means citizenship. The believers, because of their trust in Christ as Savior, heaven becomes their home. They become a citizen of heaven. How about you? I like talking about heaven, don't you? Let's pause a moment. Heaven. First of all, heaven is the believer's home. If you're saved, your home is not this world. Your home is heaven itself. John chapter 14, you're not turning many of you know the verse. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. So heaven is the believer's home. But also, heaven is where our names are registered. You ever heard of the Lamb's Book of Life? In Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Luke said, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Your home is heaven, and your name is registered there. Next thing about heaven, it is where our inheritance awaits. It is where our inheritance awaits. In 1 Peter 1, verse 4, to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. But also, it's where other believers are. It's where other, how many of you have loved ones in heaven? My friend, that makes me long to be there, does it not you? 
Hebrews 12, 23, it says, To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. Other believers are there. What a great reason to serve the Lord and stand firm. But we're to stand firm because we're citizens of heaven, but also because Christ will come again to take us to heaven. How many believe Christ is coming back? How many believe it's soon? It is. Now go back to Philippians chapter 3 in verse 20 again. For our conversation is heaven from whence also we look for the what? The Savior, the Lord Jesus. He's coming again. Do what, please? Go with me to 1 Thessalonians, please. Keep your finger in Philippians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, page 1664. Talks about Christ coming back. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 16. We should stand firm because we're citizens of heaven. And because Christ will come again and take us to heaven. It says there in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be what? That refers to the rapture. Called up. Together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be of the Lord. Here it talks about the Lord's coming for his saints. And one day he's coming back, and for those of you that are citizens of heaven, he's going to take you back to heaven. That's the reason. To stand firm, because we're citizens of heaven, because Christ is coming again to take us to heaven. But thirdly, because there will be a resurrection and a reckoning when we get to heaven. There will be a resurrection and a reckoning in heaven. We say there in verse 21 of Philippians 3, it says, we shall receive a new body. How am I looking forward to the new body? As you, <laughs> as you get older, that body and new one becomes more far more important. In Philippians 3.21, it said, who shall change our what kind of body? You know, there's so much emphasis on this body. And we ought to take care of this body because it's God's temple. But compared to the body in heaven, God says your body on earth is vile. He shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. In other words, we shall all be changed. Do not turn there, but let me read it for you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, referring to the rapture. Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. It means we're not going to die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For the corruptible must put on incorruption, and the mortal must put on immortality. There'll be, when we shall be changed. Now listen carefully, please. There's different views of the rapture. The rapture is coming soon, when the Lord comes for his saints, take us back to heaven when we're snatched away. Some people believe we're going to exchange. We're going to leave this body behind and get a new body. No. It didn't say we shall be exchanged. It says we shall be what? Changed. This body's going up. On the way up, it's going to change. This mortal is going to put on immortality, and the dead in Christ that's in the grave shall be raised incorruptible and taken to heaven. At that time, we shall be like him. We shall be like him. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, 
and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as, it, as he is. But at that time also, we shall give an account to the Lord. We shall give an account. Turn to me, please. Keep your finger in, flip, in um, uh, Philippians there. Go with me, to, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2, please. 1 John chapter 2. There will be a reckoning. There will be a resurrection. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and those that are in heaven, excuse me, in the grave will be resurrected. Their bodies will be. Their souls are presently in heaven. They'll get a new body also. But notice at that time, here it mentions two kind of believers at the rapture of the church. Two kind of believers when Christ returns. And you must ask yourself, which kind are you? 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. One reason we should stand is because one day we're going to give an account unto him. In 1 John 2, 28, page 1715, it says, Now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, talking about the rapture, when he returns to take us to heaven, we may have confidence and not be what? Ashamed before him. Which one are you? The word confidence means fearless boldness before the Lord. That speaks of the Christian who is living today for Christ. Those that are honoring the Lord of their life, they look forward to Christ's return. Look forward to him coming because they're living and honoring him with a life as a Christian. But some are not. Some are living for themselves. Some are living for the world. They will be ashamed. And so the writer John says, Christian, Abide in him, that when he shall appear, that we may have confidence and not be what? Which one are you? Will you have fearless, boldness, confidence when he returns, looking forward to him being here? Or will you be ashamed because you're living for yourself? Point three. Point three. First of all, we saw the command to stand, firmly stand the Lord. We saw the reason to stand. And number three, where the believer should stand. Where the believer should stand. Go with me to 1 Corinthians, please. You can let go of Philippians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Three areas in which the Bible says we are to stand fast, firm in. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, page 1622. The first area in which we are told as believers to stand fast in is stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. 1 Corinthians 16. Notice what it says here. Again, Paul speaking to the believer. He says, watch ye, stand fast in what? Notice the word faith is preceded by a definite article. He didn't say stand fast in faith. He said stand fast in the faith. The faith is the term given to the summation of that which we believe as Christians. In Jude chapter 1, it's talking about how believers are to contend for the faith. What teachings, what doctrines make up the faith? What doctrines are we to stand in or contend for? I'm glad you asked. Now, I covered these real quickly in January. I want to go through them quickly again because I don't want you to miss out on them. These are doctrines that are called what are called the fundamentals of the Christian faith. These are the doctrines that we understand firm and persevering and not compromise. Let me go over quickly with you. There are seven of them. First of all, the virgin birth. 
the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Number two, the deity that Jesus Christ is God. Next, the blood atonement that Jesus Christ died and shed his precious blood. The Bible says without uh, the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Next, the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. Next, the second coming. All of these are doctrines that make up the faith, the faith. Then inspiration of the scripture, the fact the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. And lastly, salvation by grace through faith alone. These are the doctrines that we are to stand fast in, the faith we are to contend for. In fact, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished a course. I've kept the faith. In other words, he has stood for and not compromised the doctrines that make up what Christianity is all about. Now, how do we do that? How do I as a Christian stand for the faith? I'm glad you asked. Look at it again in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. He says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Then he says what? Quit you like men. Quit you like men. So how do we do this? By never quitting. By never quitting. I remember my professor in Bible college, he says, quit you like men. Why do we quit like men? Because men don't quit. <laughs> men don't quit. In other words, don't give up. Never compromise of these great doctrines of the faith. In fact, turn to me, please, in the Old Testament. Keep your finger here in Corinthians. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 4. I'll give you about 10 minutes to find that, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 4, page 431. 1 Samuel is right before 2 Samuel, if that's helpful. 1 Samuel 4. Here we see this phrase used in the Old Testament by the Philistines as they went to war to the, against the Israelites. Quit you like men. Don't give up. Never stop. Keep on keeping on. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Samuel 4, 7. Page 431. Again, if you're using a church Bible. Let me give the context of it, please. Israel is now arrayed in battle against the Philistines. They are outnumbered greatly, and they were fearful of the Philistines. So what they did is they saw the number of the Philistines. They called for the ark of God to come in their midst. And they thought the ark would protect them. Their focus was on the ark of God, not the God of the ark. And so they brought it there. And when they brought it there, they began to shout. And the Philistines heard them shouting and they become very afraid. And look in verse 7, we take up from there. And the Philistines were afraid for they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, woe is unto us for there hath not been such a thing there hitherto. Therefore, excuse me, verse 8. Woe to us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues and the wilderness. They thought Israel had many gods. Israel had one god. So they referred to gods. But notice what he said there in verse 9. He says, be strong and what? Quit yourselves like men. O ye Philistines that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been unto you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the story went on in verse 10. And the Philistines fought. Israel was smitten, that, man, that fled every man into his tent. And there was a great slaughter. There were over 30,000 Israelites killed. So basically, here's what it did. 
they went up before the Jews and they were afraid and they said, fellow Philistines, you quit like men because men don't quit. You keep on fighting and the result was they defeated Israel and uh, they won the war. So what is God saying, Christian? To stand in the faith and never quit. Keep on keeping on. No matter how great the war becomes, stand for the doctrines of the faith. Don't compromise them. And go back now to Corinthians. He said, quit you like men. Stand fast by never quitting. Stand fast in the strength of the Lord. Stand fast in the strength of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 16. Quit you like men. Be strong. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. To stand against things of the world, to stand for the Lord, stand for sound doctrine, takes God's strength to do so faithfully. And then he says in verse 14, look what he says here. He says, do all things in love. Let all your things be done with charity. Let me give an illustration. When I was in Bible college at Florida Bible College, they encouraged the students to uh, be involved with the ministry. And so they had a ministry on Friday nights where they took a van or a bus, according to the students, to go down to, this was in Hollywood, Florida, to go down to Miami Airport and pass out tracts. So many people there sitting, waiting for their flight with nothing to do. So we passed out gospel tracts. And I was walking in there with a friend of mine, and we saw a Catholic priest. We could tell by the collar he was wearing. And my buddy said, why don't you talk to him? And I was a sophomore, and I thought I knew everything. So sure, I'll talk to him. So I took my track, and I went over to him, and it says, am I going to heaven? I gave it to him. And I said, my friend, are you going to heaven when you die? He said, I hope so. And I said, I know I'm going to heaven. Now, he responded by saying, young man, what gives you the audacity to say such a thing? Because he thought I was saying I'm good enough to go to heaven. Because the Catholics believe works for salvation, salvation through the sacraments. So when I said, I know I'm going to heaven, he thought I meant I'm good enough to go to heaven. I said, you don't have to take any audacity to say that. It takes believing what God says. The Bible says you can know that you have eternal life. But long story short, we, we talked for about half an hour, back and forth, back and forth. He believed in works for salvation. I believe salvation by grace through faith and not of works. And so we had, end up to agree to disagree. But I said all this for this. When I got done, when I left there, I realized if I did not know what I believed and did not come, it was founded in God's word, he could have convinced me. You know why? Because he was so kind. He was so loving. He was so thoughtful in the way he presented that. It's not what he said, it's how he said it. So many of us, when we stand for the Lord, we become very ugly. We become kind of a, a, of a critical spirit. The Bible says, speak the truth in what? You can win an argument and lose a soul. So when you share the plan of salvation, when you stand for the faith, do it lovingly, do it kindly. Kind words go a long ways. And you can win people through not only what you say, but how you say it. Do things in love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, do not turn there. It's called the love chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. 
So when you share and stand for the faith, my friend, do it in love. So the believer should stand, stand in the faith, number two, number two, to stand in liberty. We're talking about where we should stand, to stand in liberty. Galatians 5.1, I believe it will be on the screen. I'm to stand as a believer, stand in the faith, now stand in liberty, Christian liberty. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Where was the yoke of bondage? It was the law. When Paul went to Galatia, the cities of Galatia, he led many people to Christ. He established churches, and he left to move on. And when he left, some men came behind him called the Judaizers, and they came to undermine his work. They said, what Paul told you was true, but he did not tell you enough. You're saved by grace through faith, but you're assured of your salvation by the works of the law. And they preached circumcision for salvation. And so listen to me, please. Any message that acquires some work or effort to merit your part for salvation is a message of bondage. People bring you in bondage and say, if you don't surrender your life, if you don't commit your life, if you don't turn from your sin, you won't go to heaven. That's works of bondage. My friend, the Bible says salvation, the work was finished at the cross. And we are saved by through what Christ did for us. Once you're saved, yes, surrender your life. Yes, commit your life. Yes, with this help, turn from sin. But you don't do that to be saved. You do it because you are saved. But any requirement of work on your part to go to heaven is a work of bondage. God says, stand fast in liberty, the freedom we have in Christ. And how do we do that real quickly? Stand because of false brethren. Stand because of false brethren. Galatians 2, 4. And that because of false brethren, unawares, brought in, who come in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us a bondage. Many churches, among the church members, there are people that we refer to as brethren, can sometimes persuade us things that are contrary to the Bible. So we stand fast in our liberty. Also stand fast because of false doctrine. The verse I read there, Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. But also, stand fast, stand by living righteously. You stand in liberty by living righteously. What do you mean, Pastor? So many people today, in fact, there's a movement today among young Christians that justifies so much ungodly behavior because they say, I I'm, I'm, have lived my Christian liberty. I, I've seen Facebook pictures of people claiming to be Christ out at bars drinking and crowds and partying, and they said, that's my liberty in Christ. The Bible does not necessarily outright condemn drinking. It does condemn drunkenness. So many people think, well, I, I can drink long as I don't get drunk. But the Bible says abstain from the very appearance of evil. So Christian, in your Christian liberty, stay as far away from sin as possible. Stay away from that. And Paul said in Galatians 5.13, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. That is what's called lasciviousness. Talking about we turn the grace of God in lasciviousness. And 1 Peter 2.16, As free and not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Yes, we are free. I'm not under any rules or laws 
or conduct required me to be saved, that's Christian liberty. Christian liberty is not a license to sin. It's a freedom to serve, to serve the Lord. Prior to salvation, you could not serve the Lord. You're in bondage to sin. But now that you're saved, my friend, don't use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Use it to honor and serve the Lord. Number three, and we'll wrap it up here. Stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in liberty. Now stand fast in the gospel. Stand fast in the gospel. Go with me now to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, page 1652. Let go of Corinthians. First, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 1. Stand fast in the faith of the gospel. Philippians 1.27, please. We're talking about the command to stand, to stand fast. We saw the reasons why. Now, where should we stand? In the faith, in liberty, and now in the gospel. Philippians 1.27, Paul said, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the what? Faith of the gospel. How do I stand for the faith of the gospel? First of all, it tells us here in verse 27, our walk should embellish the message. Our walk should embellish the message. He begins by saying, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. The word conversation here means your lifestyle, your walk. What he's saying, Christian, that the way you live should make the message of Christ attractive. Ladies, has your husband ever said to you, honey, well, that dress is very becoming. What does he mean by that? It's very attractive. makes you look good. My friend, our way we live our life ought to make the gospel look good. Ought to make the Savior attractive to the unsaved world. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Other words, the Bible says, talking about walking worthy. Colossians says that you might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. The word worthy means appropriately becoming. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, that you walk worthy of God, who hath called you in his kingdom and glory. So Christian, the way you stand for the gospel is make sure the way you live makes the gospel attract to the unsaved. That the way you live makes them want what you got. That's when you ought to live separate from the world. If you like the world, why would they want what you got? Be separate from the world and live a godly life. Make it attractive. And next, how do we stand for the gospel? We should be unified with a simple presentation of the message. We should be unified with a simple presentation of the message. He says there in verse 27, only let your conversation be, becometh as the gospel of Christ. And said, and they're standing there, it goes on to say, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The word striving together means jointly, union, laboring together. Look at me, please. If you've been at First Baptist Church any length of time, you know as a pastor, we stand for the purity and the clarity of the gospel. Not only make it clear, but make it pure. Keep any works or merit out of the gospel of grace and present it very clearly. Turn with me in Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're just about done. 
2 Corinthians chapter 11, page 1633. The way you stand for the gospel is make sure your life, your walk embellishes the message, but also we ought to stand unified, striving together for the faith of the gospel, for the simple presentation of the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look what Paul said. Paul had a concern. He used the word fear here. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. Paul said, but I fear, lest by any means as the serpent. By the way, who's the serpent? Satan. As Satan beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your minds should be corrupted from the what? Simplicity that is in Christ. You know, going to heaven is simple for the unbeliever. There's no work. There's no effort. There's no merit required of the unsaved to be saved. The work was finished at the cross. We are saved through the finished work of Christ. What he did for us. You know the hard part about being saved? You must come to the place to realize you cannot save yourself. And our pride says, well, I'm a good person. I'm not that bad. Our friend, the Bible says your righteousness are as filthy rags. The very best you can do in the sight of a holy God is filth. So we have right, I cannot save myself. I must trust Christ to save me. So Paul was concerned the same way that Satan beguiled Eve and deceived Eve in the garden, that your minds as Christians might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Then he says in verse 4, For he that cometh preacheth another Jesus. For if he that cometh another Jesus, whom you have not preached, or receive another spirit, which we have not received, or another what? Gospel, which you have not accepted. Everybody, please. There are many churches that preach Jesus, but it's not Jesus of the Bible. They talk about a spirit, but it's not the spirit of the Bible. They talk about the term gospel, but it's not the gospel of the Bible. So as a church, we should always be careful to present a pure and clear message of the gospel. To stand for the faith of the gospel is make sure my life embellishes the message. But as a church, we should strive together for the purity and the clarity of the gospel. I want to close with this. I'm so glad the Apostle Paul made it clear. How many of you remember the story in Acts chapter 16? In verse 38, the Philippian jailer. The verse will be on the screen. Talking about always present a clear, press, a clear message. Look at me, please. We're going to wrap it up. In this passage, the context, the Apostle Paul was in prison. He had been sent. In fact, he had been beaten for preaching the gospel, put in prison. And while he was in prison, he was singing. <laughs> he was glorifying God that he was able to suffer in behalf of Christ. And during that time, an earthquake happened. Now, the jailer who was sleeping... And the earthquake woke him up, but also all the doors of the prison were open. And so he thought they all escaped. And he knew if they got escaped, it would cost him his life. And so he took his sword out, and he was going to fall on and kill himself. And Paul said, sirs, do thyself no harm, because we're all here. And notice what he said to a man who was fixing to kill himself. He said, sirs, he says in verse 30, he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, Paul had to make it clear and simple because this man was going to kill himself. What did he say? He said, Surrender your life and you'll be saved. No. 
He said, commit your, no. He didn't say, turn from all your sins. He said, no. He said, what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. He made it simple and clear, and the man trusted Christ as Savior. So, church members, as we stand for the gospel, let's make sure our lifestyle backs up the message. But let's stand for the purity, the clarity. Make a clear, clear distinction between what God requires of salvation and what God requires for service. Salvation, we simply believe in the finished work of Christ and trust him to be saved. But once we're saved, then by all means, let's surrender, let's commit, let's live a life that's honoring to God that comes after salvation. But the way we stand for the gospel is by unified together. Close your Bibles, look at me, please. Christian, we're talking about the second point of our new theme, to stand firmly. And we had a command here to stand fast in the Lord. The word fast means firmly to persevere, to persist in our walk with the Lord. We talked about how we should do that because we're citizens of heaven, because Christ is coming again, and because there'll be a reckoning one day before God. We talked about where the believers should stand in the faith, in liberty, and for the gospel. So again, Christian, let me encourage you, stand. Stand, never give up, never quit. Stand for the Lord. Stand in the faith that God may use you greatly. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, again, I was speaking to my brethren, to those of you that know Christ as Savior, and encouraging you from God's word to stand firmly for God. In whatever place, whatever ministry, whatever he's called you to do, stand firmly. Never quit. Never give up. Maybe the message with you. Maybe you're here today and you're saved, but you've compromised God's word. You're not living for the Lord. You have not been standing for the Lord. My friend, God maybe spoke to you. How many say, Pastor, I'm saved. I know heaven's my home. I've trusted Christ. That's not an issue. But Pastor, I have not lived for the Lord like I ought to. My lifestyle does not please the Lord. I know that. I have not stood firmly for God. But I want to do that. I want to renew myself to the Lord and take a stand for him with his strength to stand up for the Lord in all that I do, the way I live. If that's your prayer this morning, would you allow your pastor to pray for you by simply raising your hand this morning? Anyone all? Yes, God bless you and you and you. So God bless you. Yes, amen. Anyone else? Pastor, pray for me that I can stand for the Lord. Would you pray for me? Anyone else real quickly? God bless you. As our heads are bowed and eyes to close, again, my message was for the Christian. But maybe you're here today or by watching by live stream, and you've never trusted Christ. Maybe you always thought going to heaven is based upon how you lived your life. And maybe you've been trying to live a good life and earn your way to inherit and merit God's favor. My friend, salvation is not by works. It's by faith in what Christ has done for you. It's not obtained by trying, but trusting. And trust Christ as Savior. If you've never done that before, why not do that today? Right, we are sitting in the congregation here in church or at home. Place your dependence and your trust in Christ to be your Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Say, Pastor, I like to do that. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Why not talk to God and maybe say something like this as you talk to him? In your own thoughts, just say, Dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned 
I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe Jesus, your son, was punished in my place. I believe when Christ died, he died for me. He was buried and he rose again. And right here today, realizing I can do nothing to save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me, to forgive me, and to give me eternal life. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, how many of you made that decision this morning? I'd like to pray for you. I'm not going to have you forward to point you out. I'm going to do this with heads bowed and eyes are closed so no one will be put on the spot. If that made sense to you and you trusted Christ as your Savior here today, but no one look around, would you simply raise your hand so I can pray for you also? Anyone at all? Pastors, my hand. I've trusted Christ. Would you pray for me? Anyone at all? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge that we are to stand for the Lord. Help us as your people to do just that. So many here today, believers, have raised their hand and indicated they have not took a stand. They have not been living for you. They want to stand firmly for your word. So I pray that you enable them to do so. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.